All right, well, good morning once again. So good to see all of you. Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hope you're having a great weekend so far. Well, today we are concluding our series called The Love Command. And if uh, you've been with us, you know, for the past for several weeks, we've been looking at various passages in the New Testament uh, that remind us, that call us to this high calling of love for one another, love for people, and describe the kinds of love that we are called to, to have. So Matthew chapter 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Luke 6, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In today's passage, as we wrap this series up, will come from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. Peter writes, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Now, just to give some context, Peter is writing to uh, various churches, groups of believers who are scattered throughout modern-day Turkey, and they are suffering from, as he puts it, all kinds of trials. These are believers going through some difficult, strenuous times. Uh, many of them are socially ostracized. They are discriminated against. They are frowned upon, and they are facing the potential of intense persecution because of their faith. For many of them, following Jesus was extremely costly. <laughs> Relationally, a lot of them were rejected and disowned by family and friends. Financially, they were unable to find work or employment because of their beliefs. And all of them faced the potential of prison or even death. And it's light in, in light of this reality, in light of this situation, that Peter writes this letter. He first reminds them of all that God has, has done for them. And he encourages them that in light of who Jesus is, in light of what Jesus has done, he encourages them to endure, to persevere, to remain hopeful and confident, to stay focused and committed. He exhorts them to pursue obedience, to don't give in to their fleshly, worldly, or sinful desires, but to live out the life that God called them to live. He reminds them of the importance of things like humility and kindness and compassion and, and goodness for all kinds of people, whether people are for them or against them, whether they're kind or cruel, whether they treat them fairly or unfairly, justly or unjustly. 
And then Peter brings to mind the different kinds of relationships that they may have in their life. Their relationship to authority figures and their relationship with family members and friends. Right? He has them consider their relationship and their attitude towards the emperor, to those in authority, to their bosses, employers, and for those who are married, their attitude towards their spouses. And it's in this context, both historically and biblically, that we get to our passage this morning. We get to verse 8. Right? So Peter is saying, in light of your current situation, in light of all your suffering and the cost that you are having to pay, in light of all that Jesus has done for you, in light of the life he lived and the way that he loved, and in light of all that he taught and all that he instructed, in light of the various relationships you need to consider in your life, in verse 8 he says, above all. So in other words, first and foremost, most importantly, of highest urgency and necessity, he says, above all, love each other deeply. He says, love each other deeply. He says, love covers a multitude of sins. Right? As we've seen before, this love enables us as the church to be united so that we can fulfill God's plans and purposes. But think about what Peter is doing here. He's writing to churches who are most likely gathered together in someone's house, home churches, Right? They're with people who they're similar to and different to. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, there's cultural differences. There's people they get along with, people they, they perhaps don't get along with. They are united by their faith and by their struggle as believers. So Peter encourages them. He first reminds them of all the hope that they have and reasons they can rejoice and be confident. He reminds them to, to be obedient, to be faithful. He reminds them of things like kindness and compassion and humility. He invites them to consider all of the various relationships in their lives. And then he says, above all, with those of you sitting together in this room, take a hard look at each other, look to your left, look to your right, look to the people sitting beside you. He says, above all, most importantly, love each other deeply. In other words, loving these people is your highest priority. Above all, most importantly. Why? So that Jesus would be magnified. So that God would be glorified. So that people would see Christ in us and through us. So how do we do this? How do we love each other deeply? Well, Peter provides two very tangible ways that we can love each other deeply. Two ways that are very practical but challenging at the, the same time. One way we can love each other, or one way that we're called to love each other, is by prioritizing church. Prioritize church. Prioritize the mission of the church. Prioritize the people in the church. Prioritize your unique role within the church. Prioritize it with your time. Prioritize it with your energy. Prioritize it with your resources. 
Now, just to be clear, we're not just talking about CBC. We're not talking just about a Sunday morning service, although those things are included under the umbrella of a church. We're talking about all of God's people committed to fulfilling God's mission. Because Peter is saying, take a hard look at those around you. Your highest priority is to love one another. Right? And for some of us to, to hear that, that church should be your priority, uh, that can be challenging. It can be perhaps a little difficult to hear, perhaps a little difficult to comprehend. And if it's hard for us now, it was hard for them then. But Peter isn't introducing a brand new concept. He's simply piggybacking on what Jesus had said, on everything Jesus had taught. Right? There's two themes that are kind of interwoven uh, within Peter's letter that provide the basis of his reasoning as to why we should live a certain way. First, he says, uh, we are saved. We are saved by God. We've been given the gift of salvation. We've been forgiven. We've been ransomed. We've been bought with a price. We've been blessed, adopted for a purpose. He uses words like God's elect living stones, royal priesthood, holy nation to refer to us as a church. And secondly, he says, because we've been adopted into God's family, we are now a part of God's family. Which means that the church, God's people, they are now family. Hence, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, first century Middle East, they operated in what's known as a a collectivistic culture. They operated with a group mentality, a group mindset, and similar to many parts of the world today. So thus, when it came to needs and interests, it was about what was best for the group, more so than what was best for the individual. And thus, for the majority of people, your group that mattered the most, your group that took priority, that took precedence over everything else, was your family. So your loyalty, your devotion was to your parents and to your siblings. When it came to things like your dreams and your ambitions, it wasn't about what was best for you, it was about what was best for the family. When it came to your, your wants and needs, it wasn't about what you wanted for yourself, it was about what your family wanted, what your family needed. So things like career decisions. It wasn't about what you wanted to do in terms of career. It wasn't about what you were interested in. It was about what the family trade was, what was the the family business, right? Marriage, it wasn't about who you were attracted to or who you connected with. It wasn't even about who you wanted to marry, right? It was about who mom and dad chose based on what was best for the family. When it came to where you lived, it wasn't about what part of the world you wanted to see and what you wanted to experience. It was what where your family lived. Now, I'm not saying this culture, this way of thinking is better. This is just how it was. This is how they operated. This is how people thought. So when Jesus steps onto the scene, and when Jesus begins to invite people to be his disciples, to be a part of his movement, right? he doesn't challenge that way of thinking. He simply tells them that they've been given a new family. They've been given new brothers 
and you, sisters. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he did not hesitate to unapologetically and unashamedly invite people to prioritize their spiritual family over their earthly family. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 4, 21 to 22. We'll look through some various verses. It says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, Jesus, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Right, this is Jesus inviting them not just to hang out for an hour, right, inviting them to follow him, to be his disciples, and also leave behind their father, their father's, the family business, and the financial well-being of their entire family. Luke chapter 9, verse 59 to 62, says, He, Jesus, said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service for service in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is in a house with his followers. His mom and brothers come knocking at the door. They send a messenger because they want to speak to Jesus. Jesus' response, he replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Luke 14, 25, 26. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Right? Jesus had no problem expecting his followers to prioritize him over everything else. And what Jesus would go on to communicate is that if we prioritize him, we will prioritize his church, his people. John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commands. Right? If you prioritize me, you will do what I say. John 13, 34, 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not calling us to love our earthly families less. We see throughout Scripture our calling to, to love our earthly families, to honor our father and mother to love our spouse like Christ loves the church, to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. There's a high calling on how much we're called to love our earthly family. So Jesus is not saying to love them less. But he is raising the bar extremely high 
in terms of how much we are called to prioritize his church and to love the church. Right? He's in essence saying, as much as you love your earthly families, and you should love them a lot, you are called to love your church, your spiritual family, as much, if not more. Because of who God is and, and all that he has done. That there is no excuse as to why we love his church less than our earthly family. Now for the early church, for Peter's audience, they understood this. They were forced to understand this pretty early in their faith journey. right? Because for many of them, to go against the family, to go against the group by choosing their own religion apart from their family would have meant that they would have been rejected, disowned, even persecuted. And thus to even choose Jesus, to be a believer, they would have had to prioritize the spiritual family over their earthly family. Yet once they were able to embrace the idea that church was their family, they knew what it meant to prioritize family because that's what they had always done. That was their culture to prioritize family first. So you read a passage like Acts chapter 2, the early church coming together, breaking bread daily in each other's homes, giving to, to those in need, selling their possessions, sharing what they have. Right? There wasn't anything revolutionary. That's just what families did. Now, 3,000 people becoming believers on one day, new believers being added daily, miracles and signs, awe and wonder, gaining the favor of all people. Now, that was supernatural. That was all Holy Spirit. When I was on my mission trip this past summer, one of the highlights for me on that trip was the very last day we were there, we got to participate in uh, a church service with a lot of the locals and uh, a lot of the missionaries who were staying at the center. So when we got together and, and prepared for that worship service, uh, we were together in a, in a relatively small room, and there were 60 to 70 people jam-packed. And there's, there's literally people from, from all over the world in this room. There were Egyptians and Iraqis and Iranians and Syrians and Pakistanis and Filipinos and our little team from America. And what, I, what we were told is that many of these people, although they were different and although they were from different parts of the world, Many of them shared a similar story. And that was that when they became a Christian, they were disowned and rejected by their earthly family. Many of the locals who were coming to this church service had to travel long distances. Many of them had to come in secrecy, right? not wanting family members or friends to, to find out that they were interested or even seeking. Yet when they gathered together in a room to, to worship, you could sense the joy and the passion and the affection that they had for one another. 
Because it wasn't just a service. It was family coming together to worship their father. Now for us today, the culture is vastly different than it was 2,000-some years ago or for those in the Middle East. Yet the challenge remains the same. To prioritize Jesus' church. To prioritize his people. Our family in Christ. As I said before, it's not limited to, to, to CBC. And how that looks is going to be different for each and every one of us. And it's going to take a lot of prayer and a lot of discernment on how God wants to lead and God wants to navigate. Because we all have limitations. We all have a certain amount of time, a certain amount of energy. We can only be at one place at, at any given time. And thus how we love and how we prioritize this church will be different for all of us. For some of us, it may be a season where we do prioritize our earthly families, caring for their spiritual well-being, pouring into them. Perhaps for some of us, it'll be a small group or a ministry team. Maybe it is here on a Sunday morning. Or maybe it's a, a, another Christian organization, a different ministry, whatever it might be. But the important part is that we acknowledge and we embrace this calling to prioritize the church, to make it a priority, to commit to fulfilling the church's mission, the church's purpose, to prioritizing the people, and to prioritize our role within the church. As many of you know, a couple months ago, our beloved sister in Christ, Emi Kamiyama, went home to, to be with the Lord, and we fully confident that she is rejoicing with Jesus as we speak. And I had the, the, the honor and the privilege of um, officiating her celebration of life service. And when we were planning the service, it was myself, her sister Kay, and her, her nephew Phil, who I had known for quite some time, actually. And as we're talking about the different elements of the service, uh, Emmy's sister thought uh, that perhaps we should have an open mic time of sharing uh, when it came to the personal remembrance portion of the service. Right, an open mic is a time where you just, just kind of leave it open to, to whoever wants to share, however long they want to share, rather than kind of selecting certain individuals to do the sharing. And when the idea kind of came up, Phil and I were talking, and to be honest, we were a little hesitant about that idea. We were kind of nervous because we were worried that if we just open it up, that most people aren't going to want to share that a lot of people aren't going to want to walk up and climb up on this stage and share in front of a bunch of people in front of a packed room. So I you know, thought of every contingency plan I could think of. I will we'll grab the wireless mic and I'll just scan the room. And if someone even makes eye contact with me, I'll like, just offer the mic and I'll walk to them and give it to them. I thought about if there's a long pause, how I would just get up and say how even in silence, we can honor someone and we can remember them. I was thinking of everything I could possibly think of. Yet for those of you who, who were there that day, the minute we trans, the second we transitioned over to an, to an open mic time, 
one by one, nonstop, for at least 20, maybe 30 minutes, people got up and they talked about Emmy. And the common theme, whether they used the verbiage or not, was how much Emmy loved the church. And it wasn't that she just loved things like Bible studies and prayer meetings and fellowship gatherings and small groups, even though she loved those things. But it was more so on how much she loved people, how much she prioritized people, cared for people, people she treated and loved like family. So there were family members who shared. There were church members whom she had reached out to in the early days and pretty much adopted them as family. There was the grandnephew's wife's younger sister who was blessed by Emmy. In just all the different ways, Emmy would go out of her way to show care and kindness and compassion to people, to the church. Is church a priority in our lives? How it looks is going to be different for everybody, but is it a priority? All right, secondly, and this point will be a lot shorter, another way we can love each other deeply is to serve diligently. Practically, it's to serve in a, a ministry. At verse 9, Peter says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Right? Hospitality then was a, a significant, tangible way to serve people. Right? A church that met in homes, operated in homes, had gatherings in homes, hosted guest leaders, right? it depended a lot upon hospitality. But more so than just welcoming someone into your home, it's the willingness, it's the desire, the commitment, the readiness to serve others, to, to bless others. Key verse, verse 10, Peter says, Each of you, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We're now key word here being, key phrase being each of you. Not some of you, not most of you, not those who have time, those who have certain gifts, it's each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Key point being, you have been given a gift, a portion of grace that we are called to steward, to manage. And the way we manage, the way we oversee, the way we handle the grace we've been given is by serving others. Verse 11, he says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. This is a calling to, to serve with diligence, to serve with intentionality, to serve with a sense of reverence that when you're serving, you're not just helping, you're not just doing something nice, 
You are reflecting Jesus. You are demonstrating a portion of who Christ is and what he is like. He says, serve with the strength that God provides. Which means God is the one who will give us the strength, give us the ability to serve consistently, to serve effectively. Which does imply that it's not always going to be easy. It won't always be convenient or comfortable that there are going to be times when serving is hard, when it's strenuous, when it's challenging, when it may seem humanly impossible. And thus God provides the strength. But Jesus is magnified. God is glorified. Right, and many of you are serving in, in various ministries already, and we are so humbled and encouraged and grateful by how you serve. Right, those, there are those who serve on the welcome team. Being here Sunday mornings, first ones to greet those who just enter our, our campus, step into to this building, demonstrating the, the hospitality and the way that God welcomes us. There are those of you who serve in the refreshment ministry that bless us with these amazing snacks. Right? And when we serve refreshment, it's not just about the snacks, although the snacks are amazing. Right? But it's creating a space for us to, to be the church, to do church, to love and care for one another. Now, this may be complete coincidence, but our Sunday morning first service attendance spiked about 20 to 30 percent consistently, not every week, but 20-30% more since we've implemented refreshments back. I mean, complete coincidence. And yes, right, the snacks in and of itself, but it, more importantly, it's the space that it creates, allowing us to, to love and care for one another. There are those who serve in the children's ministry week in and week out, demonstrating Christ to our kids, the aides, the volunteers, there are small group shepherds who, who love and care for, for you, for our small groups, week in, week out. Many of them have been doing it for, for years. Those who serve on our youth staff, our senior ministries committee, our prayer ministry, care ministry. We have a friend that, uh, that I went to college with uh, named John. And uh, after we, we graduated from college, we, we kind of lost touch and I didn't keep in touch with him too much, but I would hear about him uh, over the years from various mutual friends. And what I had heard was that after he had gotten married, after uh, uh, him and his wife got a home, they implemented an, an open-door policy uh, several nights a week for their church family, their church community. And basically, the open-door policy was... On those nights from you know, 4 p.m. to say 9 p.m., the door was unlocked, the door was open for whoever wanted to just drop by, spend time, do life. You just pick up your own dinner or bring something to share and just come and do family. And they did this for years through the birth of, of their kids. And as far as I know, that they're still doing it to this, this day. 
I remember bumping into John one time and just kind of asking him about it, being just amazed at, at what they did. And I was like, wasn't it hard, especially when kids came, right? I mean, you know, when I had kids, it was just, you know, lock the door, deadbolt, 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 <laughs> turn off the phone, you know. It's like, yeah, it, it was hard. There were seasons where it was difficult. But we felt that our way to serve was to create a place for family, for family to be family. Now, I don't bring this up to say this is what, what we all need to do. But how is God calling each of us to serve with the grace and the portion that we've been given? And it's going to look different for, for each of us. And the point is not to simply do more. The point is to allow God to, to lead us into what he wants to do. Nothing more, nothing less. You know, I know this series has been challenging for, for a lot of us. I think Jesus sets the bar pretty high when it comes to the, the kind of love that we are called to have in this lifetime. And as we've been saying over and over throughout this series, it's not about us trying to, to get there overnight, because one, it's impossible. It's not about us trying to do it with our own strength, our own abilities. But it's, it's one, it is recognizing that Jesus does set the bar high. That in terms of the trajectory of where we're headed and what God wants us to be and do, that there is a high bar in terms of how much we are, are called to love. And thus, no matter where we are in our love capacity, no matter where we are in our ability to, to love the people around us, we all have, have room to grow. And we need God to help us get there. And the important part is that we allow God to, to meet us where we're at. Right? That we invite him to, to, to guide us and, and to navigate. To begin where we're at, to begin with small steps. To grow in our love for one another, to grow in love for people. So as we you know, close our time of this morning, as we move back into a time uh, of praise, worship, reflection, let us continue to, to seek the Lord. Continue to invite him to speak, right? To ask the small but profound questions. Right? God, is there someone today? Is there someone here that you want me to, to love? Is there a certain area when it comes to, to church as a whole that you want me to prioritize? Is there one tangible way that I can use the gifts and use the abilities you've given me to serve someone? And as God speaks, take that step of faith. Respond with faith by obeying, by trusting that if we step into what God is inviting us to do, that it's going to be him who ultimately gives us the ability 
who gives us the power, gives us to the strength to obey all that he commands. And will you pray with me?